you are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is March 20th, 2023. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Speaking of March 20th, happy spring. You know, happy spring. The weather is finally turning around. You know, uh, last week was nor'easter here, or depending on where you were in Massachusetts, it was rain. That you know, thirty inches of snow Mm could have been either way. But yeah, what's up, Boston? What's up, uh, Bobbin? I called you Boston. What's up, Boston? (laughs) No, Boston has been good. Like uh, as you said. (laughs) <laughs> first day of spring temperatures looking better and then yeah. we had seen paddy's day weekend uh right. last weekend so again i didn't do the traditional parade thing i think i was just lazy enough for, to like motivate myself to go there or even convince my friends to join me so i yeah. think we ended up going in the other direction like finding a brewery in Woburn <laughs> and then drinking well, there i feel like if you don't go to the parade you might as well go the opposite direction than yeah, everybody yeah. else <laughs> um, not that i've been there either which um i feel like is a bit of a bostonian sin a little bit um maybe uh maybe you just maybe you're just not parade people or be an implant i don't know yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah st patty's day is a good time um uh, we mostly hung out with a couple neighbor friends of ours family friends um both friday and saturday it was a lot of fun we just mm-hmm. kind of enjoyed some company and staying put i was in new york the past few weekends and things like that so it's always nice to stay put and hang out yeah. a bit um did a bit of snowboarding on sunday well i can't say that i, I took my daughter for a snowboarding lesson oh nice uh, I watched you sit, which was awesome to see a little four and a half year old, you know, just ripping and shredding it up um, uh, for an hour and a half. She did good. Um, I did not I get think- to go because I was more interested in watching her. And yeah, her yeah. Lesson, so. <laughs> I think you had shared like a picture of uh, her snowboarding, like maybe the first time she had done it. And yeah, that was with uh, that was with us, like just like yeah. running up the mountain with her and, and bringing her down. But this was like an official lesson. We weren't with her, you know, big oh, step wow. up. She okay. she took a lift, a.k.a. the magic carpet for the yeah. first time yeah. and was, you know, head over heels about, you know, going up an automated, you know, magic carpet thing, which is highlight of her weekend, I'm sure. That's so cool, man. Four and a half years. I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, I don't think I was doing anything so... I don't know, so outdoorsy at four and a half years old. I was just playing in, in, in like, so we have apartment buildings in Mumbai, yeah. right? So it was yeah. like, there was a, a playground. We were just hanging out there with friends. That's it. Like, that's the extent yeah. of my craziness. So <laughs> I know I figured, you know, the if I started earlier and just kind of, you know, get her used to it and that kind of thing. I started when I was like 12. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I really enjoy it. And so I have this like vision of just like going snowboarding with her. 
you know, yeah. we'll see if it gets there. She's, she's got to like it at the end of the day. You know, I can only introduce it to her. At least mm-hmm. that's the way we do things around here. So anyway, it's overall a good weekend. And we have uh, a fun guest that's actually going to be a little bit of a change where we, we've never had someone. I don't think we've had someone from sort of the healthcare industry on yeah. the podcast yet. So, uh, you know, uh, we're going to bring Dan Arcarion and we'll, we'll tell you more about him in a second. And, but we're really excited about that. Before we do that, let's jump into a bit of news. Bavin, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, sure. So uh, for news, right, I have a couple of funding rounds that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I know nice. the, the, the startup market looks really slow. And with the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, yeah, that, know, wasn't a fun, that wasn't a fun weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. And everybody was in, in panic mode. So all, all the people, all of, of all of our friends in, in the startup ecosystem, man, yeah. I don't know how you guys survived that weekend, but I'm sure I'm, I'm glad that we are at least past that f- first hurdle uh <laughs> yeah but, some might say we're not we haven't seen the fallout right but uh yeah. i don't you know i don't know it's um i wonder what it'll do to the acquisition market if anything right so maybe yeah. you'll know more more than i do no this is just i think the rounds that actually get announced publicly right now have been under the works for months right so this Probably, is just yes. yeah mm-hmm. things that they decided to disclose even in this environment so uh, a couple of uh, kubernetes focused rounds uh cast.ai uh, they raised mm-hmm. so they are a, a, a cost management or a cost optimization startup that have started using the term AI in mm, their description. So they are powered by smart. AI. Yeah, <laughs> this very is the market to raise money with anything with AI, right? <laughs> yeah, if you're not into marketing at all, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to make sense. Just yeah. put it in the name. <laughs> yeah, so they they ended up raising or uh, closing on a twenty million dollar investment round. Uh, uh, this they didn't say that it, this was Series B, but like looking at the crunch base history, their the their seed was in uh, uh, I think twenty twenty. This is when yes. they like founded the company. Series A was in twenty twenty one, and then this is Series B in twenty twenty three. I think they have raised a total of thirty eight million dollars uh, over these three rounds. But again, they. Now their value prop is same, similar to what we have done with KubeCost. Like I know we had people from KubeCost on the podcast where you can connect your Kubernetes clusters mm-hmm. and then organizations can see recommendations and use these automation techniques to uh, reduce the costs, uh, reduce the amount of money that they're spending on, on these different cloud platforms. So right, right. another player in the ecosystem and again, cost management and now with the AI buzzword is a really hot space uh, in mm-hmm. 2023, right? So congratulations to everyone at Cast AI. And then uh, the second startup that raised some money was SpeedScale. So I know they are a Kubernetes mm-hmm. Bytes alumni. I know we had the CTO, right. Matt Lere, on the pod. They raised uh, a new funding round, bringing their total funding or total va- uh, money raised to $9 million, which includes the pre-seed and seed funding. So they're still in the really early stages trying to find product market fit and trying to solve a very specific use case for customers. So if you don't know what SpeedScale does, right? SpeedScale helps organization test their apps using a copy of the production data. So like taking that snapshot of all the load that your application will go through in production, uh, taking a snapshot of it and making sure you do that, uh, do run your apps through the same data or same scale uh, before you actually push your apps to production. So uh, this looks like a, a, a seed funding round of 6.8 million, which brings your total funding raise to $9 million. So congratulations, Matt and, and their co-founders. Congratulations, Matt. Yeah, that was, I feel like, uh, that was early days with SpeedScale, but uh, throwing it yeah. back there. I know. I think when we when we had Matt on the pod, uh, 
it was like six months after they had graduated from Y Combinator, and right. we we actually got into touch with them with from Contain IQ. But yeah, again, uh, new funding round is always good news, especially in this environment. So, uh, great work, guys. And then the final news article that I had was more around that edge space. I know Ryan, we, you and I have found these articles over the past few episodes, uh, but Microsoft. Uh, enters this ecosystem with something called as AKS or Azure Kubernetes Service Edge Essentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is now a generally available service where they provide a CNCF conformant Kubernetes and K3S distribution, which is fully supported and managed by Microsoft. So, like you can, you can, like they they provide you with the PowerShell scripts and commandlets to set up these remote Kubernetes clusters. These can be single or multi-node Kubernetes clusters and their their deployment is fully automated and they can Mm -hmm. be run on any uh, Windows PC class device. So it can be running Windows 10, Windows 11 IoT, Enterprise, Enterprise Pro, any of these different flavors on a Windows uh, PC class device and you can run these Edge Essentials Kubernetes clusters. So uh, that's something like if you're a developer, if you have uh, these Edge devices which are not the ruggedized server hardware that you might have. Uh, if you just have some basic edge devices like a laptop running in the back of a yeah. closet, uh, you can now run Kubernetes on top of it and manage it through the Azure portal. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Very cool. Very cool. I do, yeah. like, I do like what Azure is doing with their cloud services and, and, and really staying sort of modern. I was just writing a blog post um, about um sort of the wasm ecosystem and yep. i know um we had you know a, 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 a podcast about that more recently mm-hmm. and they have um sort of a preview for uh running the uh, run wasi uh mm-hmm. node pulse which yep. was mentioned on our show and just seeing all the things they're doing here and actually one of the pieces of news that i have here was a preview for pod sandboxing Mm-hmm. Uh, which is basically it. And we did cover uh, pod sandboxing. So, I can say that <laughs> terribly. Uh, pod sandboxing. Say that 10 times fast. Um, is actually a catacota. Uh, no, not catacota. It's um, kata. Kata Just containers. Kata, yeah. Thank you. Uh, too many terms in this, yep. in this world. Um, yeah, so so we covered yeah, that. Just imagine security. being a, a consumer or a user of all these technologies. <laughs> exactly, like, ah. exactly. Um, uh, we did cover uh, those sort of uh, concepts in the security high-level episode and, and what kata containers do for yep. you and sort of isolate things and kind of use the kernel and things like that. So, you know, just between that, I think now is uh, a preview uh, with their AKS service and just seeing everything they're doing here. It's really cool to see um, how they're staying sort of on top of it. So that was definitely one of them. I'll put the link in there for uh, the pod sandboxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is um, the data on Kubernetes community. Uh, we're huge fans. Uh, we've done some talks, participated in this community. If you're at KubeCon Amsterdam, mm-hmm. uh, instead of their typical data on Kubernetes day, which you typically get um, as part of like the co uh, events prior to KubeCon. Yep. They're doing a meetup instead uh, on April 18th at um, one of the offices um, in Amster- sort of the 
district area of uh, Amsterdam at one of uh, a company who basically runs data on Kubernetes. And we'll put the link in there, but basically they'll cover everything about what DOK is. They'll have some community mm-hmm. talks, um, which is a little different style of, of the day. There will be the day again in um, North America, Chicago. Okay. Um, in the fall so a little different but we'll put the link to that meetup not a huge amount of space i think it's in the 100 120 mm-hmm. um, people which is actually pretty big for a meetup all oh, things yeah. considered so <laughs> definitely go check that out if you're into the sort of the, this community about data databases on kubernetes that's an awesome community and really happy they're going to be over there in amsterdam no um, the, like the one thing that surprised me was i saw on twitter today like just today march 20th that bart is bart, not, yeah yeah leading yeah, the yeah. data on kubernetes community and i was like yeah Man, it the, the community is going to feel a lot different. Like the amount of work that Bart has put oh, in yeah. building and managing and making sure it's a fair and equal community, man. That that guy did some awesome work. So thank you, Bart, if you're listening to this. If you're not, you should be. Come on, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll reach out to him, get a get him on, on here and talk about his experience. Yeah. It might be fun. But yeah, he's done a lot for that community. So I'm sure he'll be greatly missed. Mm-hmm. Um uh the other one we had here, if you haven't been paying attention to uh, the Kubernetes community and ecosystem, or if you haven't gone to Kubernetes.io, if you're uh, at all, you'll see a giant banner at top for the last few weeks. And I know we've actually mentioned this on this show quite a while ago in the episodes Mm -hmm. um, about the um, container registry, k8s.gcr.io, is being basically phased out and there was a lot of concern about what this was going to do what they were going to replace it with uh the latest news and this is what this update is covering is that this uh, G, uh kds gcr.io will be redirected to mm-hmm. registry.ks.io and there's a whole bunch of information on what you need to know yep. um about image polls what it does for that um whether you have things sort of blacklisted whitelisted DNS wise. Anyway, the point being is that this could cause a lot of pain and they're doing a lot in the community to try to uh, make it less painful. This is one of the things the redirect is supposed to be less painful. So um, go go read about it. (laughs) I was reading about it, right? Like the redirect is perfect, but just keep in mind, right? It it is valid only from March 20th. Like today is when they'll actually switch over. I think they end the redirect on 3rd of April or something like that. So after that, the older registry is completely gone. So they are giving you kind of a grace period for you to make sure that you are moving everything uh, that needs to be moved. So again, go to the link that Ryan will put in the show notes uh, and we'll make sure that like, or, or you guys make sure that you, ha- you have your bases covered. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it, it has the potential to be, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty <laughs> hurtful if you still use some of the old registry. So don't yeah. um, and go read it. So we'll put it in there and be the mm-hmm. best advocates we can in this space. Um, the last one I have is, you know, we've had uh, Brendan Burns on the show um, and he's, uh, I believe, already done a CNCF went, webinar. Um, it's called Kubernetes in 2023. I love mm-hmm. I actually love how broad this topic is um, and they really keep it at a level which uh, relates really well. I do it with the folks from WeWorks, which we're also a, a fan of, and um, they kind of dive into sort of a lot of things in the ecosystem, the community, you know, what it what mm-hmm. it means to do things, you know, GitOps wise, because they're yep. talking with WeWork. So definitely go check that out. I think it's a really good um, video to to go uh, learn there. And I believe that is all my news and all your news yes. for the week. 
Um, let's dive into our our guest then. Uh, so our guest is Dan Arkari. He works for Zeus Health, um, mm-hmm. actually local Bostonian at one point. Well, the company is at, 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 at uh, is anyway. He um, travels here every now and then, so it's good to have someone local on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's sort of a cloud and backend technologist, but has done all sorts of things for Zeus and a lot in the healthcare uh, ecosystem. So you'll learn more about that when he comes on the show. So without further ado, let's get Dan on the show. We would like to thank our very first sponsors for the Kubernetes Bytes podcast, User Interviews. You might be thinking who or what is User Interviews? User Interviews connects researchers with high quality participants to provide real feedback on real products. Participants can earn some extra bucks for their feedback, which allows them to have an impact on how the products are actually being built. User interviews is free to sign up and most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one interview. And as we all know, who doesn't want some extra beer money for the weekend? You can share your opinions with relevant companies uh, who are building products like Adobe, Spotify, Amazon, and many more. Are you ready to earn some extra income for sharing your expert opinion? Head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. That's userinterviews.com slash hello. And tell them the Kubernetes Bytes podcast sent you by using the promo code Kubernetes Bytes. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Dan, welcome to the show. Welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. Bob and I are happy to have you here. Uh, you know, give our listeners a little bit of an introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. So I'm Dan Arcari. I'm currently manager of a small security and infrastructure team at Zeus Health, a healthcare startup focused on the uh, healthcare data interchange. We've been going about two years. I was, I think, employee number one. We're darn close oh, wow. to it. I'd have to go check. Not a founder, but uh, yeah, number one after that. Um, mm-hmm. Prior to that, I worked at Athena Health, um, a much larger player in the space. Um, and then if you want to delve deep back in the history, at one point I worked in banking and also on slot machine firmware, which could be its own whole wow. podcast. <laughs> I want to know if I, I want to know if I have any, uh, uh, any ins with those slot machines now. You got to tell me which ones to go to. Everybody asks. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't That's say funny. no. Just, just yeah. putting mm-hmm. that out there. <laughs> so episode. should we just drive to Everett? Like I know uh, we have an encore there, right? <laughs> nice. No, okay. So uh, I think Dan, we uh, we really, as Ryan said, right, we're really excited to have you on the podcast to talk about like that pra- practitioner's approach of how you manage your infrastructure and how you use containers and Kubernetes, maybe. Uh, so before we dive into what what it looks like today, right? As you said, you were employee number one. So like you were responsible for building this from the ground up. So can you talk about like where you started? Like what, what, what did it look like? And then we'll talk about how we got to where we are right now. Sure. I think we had a pretty um, 
standard approach, you know, AWS, we run entirely on AWS. I should, I mm -hmm. should add that. So there's no on-premise, there's no colo facilities. Uh, so it makes the, the footprint pretty small. There's a few other SaaS services, but primarily it's a uh, AWS only deployment. Um, and for the large part, this is like most applications, a, a bit passing setup, right? Mm -hmm. There's no hardware, there's no IoT. Um, so starting off, we have a multi-account approach. Uh, okay. That's pretty typical these days. You run things through Control Tower and organizations. We could dive into that a little bit at some point. There's some interesting yep. nuances mm -hmm. there. Uh, and for the large part, we deploy services, or at least we did in the beginning on ECS with one team uh, using EKS. And I think over the past two years, that's still largely the case. And we'll get into sort of tuning down the EKS a little bit in, in that story. Uh, teams okay. are also moving over uh, heavily into Lambda and step functions, where I think those have really matured as what used to be maybe interesting options a couple of years ago to why wouldn't we use that now? It seems to be almost the sure. default. <laughs> gotcha. No, that's interesting, right? Like you, you basically covered ECS, which used to be AWS's version of container orchestration to EKS to serverless and step functions. So like you basically have a breadth of all the different uh, types of application deployment that, yeah, that one can have. So uh, like what kind of applications do you run on top? Like are these native ingrown applications built on containers following microservices principles or what does your application stack look like? Yeah, these are these are all microservices. So there's they're primarily homegrown, uh, some combination of Node and Go. There's mm -hmm. one licensed product, which is something we uh, that's provided as a container to us that we operate. Uh, that's Java based. Um, so that's that's going to stay on ECS for a while. Um, mm -hmm. We can't okay. lambdaify that or you know, turn that into serverless. Uh, yeah, the rest are homegrown. Um, and then there was some other, the, the Kubernetes things also had some scheduled jobs and some batch processes that were running. Those have been migrated for scalability reasons over to, uh, again, the serverless stack and Lambda. Not that you couldn't have done it in Kubernetes necessarily, um, but the team felt more comfortable uh, writing those in Lambda. I think people were largely more familiar with AWS native services than diving into Kubernetes and then writing on it. So I think you do find this in some in some environments where if people are not already familiar with Kubernetes, it's at least a perceived lift mm -hmm. to take that on in addition to the engineering work to actually build out the service. Some mm -hmm. of that is possibly a hangover. If you go back, I don't know, seven years or so, seven or eight years when you had to operate a Kubernetes cluster yeah. and then run stuff <laughs> on it, that's a lot of work, right? It operating is. and Ryan knows this well. Uh, standing <laughs> up a cluster, especially on on-prem, on your own metal. Uh, is a big task. Now, of course, you wouldn't do that in most cases today. You would use a cloud offering. You would just use EKS, which takes most of that load away. But even so, I think there's a, a perception of uh, learning that control plane separately mm -hmm. that people feel comfortable in ECS. Um, and so they stick with that or now, you know, moving over to serverless. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good point, right? I mean, we, we've touched on uh, several different things already, and it's in the first five minutes, right? Um, you have some ECS in there, which is, you know, you mentioned is sort of a product that's that's given to you. That's a really good reason to kind of keep things there. I know you mentioned there's um, some Kubernetes, and personally, I know we had a conversation in the past mm -hmm. that, you know, some Kubernetes was there, but it didn't really fit the bill, and, and you've mentioned serverless a few times. Could you kind of dive into why you've moved towards serverless from Kubernetes. And, and I know there's some things that may ex still exist in Kubernetes and what fits well there, right? Like kind of like talk to that. Yeah, I'll say it's not just the Kubernetes uh, 
tasks that have moved over to serverless, but other things too that might have been on ECS. That when we look at the kind of scalability we need, it's it's not clear that a container really offers us anything. Mm-hmm. When you're starting from ground zero and you have no code uh, and you don't have to worry about what might have been there before, and maybe that was packaged as a container, or maybe you had all that code bundled in one place before. When you don't have any of that, mm-hmm. and you're starting from scratch. These days, the sophistication of Lambda and step functions and related technologies does make you ask, why don't we just do that? You know, it's one of these, um, I like to have sort of background mantras when I think about yeah. uh, running a software company or, or working in one. And one of them is, what are, what are other people doing? Why mm-hmm. are they doing it? And how's it going? Sure. Um, and so whenever you a- approach these things these days, especially when you don't have some unique aspect to it, like we have a hardware transponder or there's a train yep. involved somewhere, right? But it's just data. It does seem that serverless is one of the simpler things you can do because you get infinite scalability, basically. So that that can displace not only just some um, Kubernetes workloads, but ECS and other things too. When you don't need to have it in containers, um, so I, I would say that if I thought I had to run a massively scaled container fleet at some company for whatever reason, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would probably stick with Kubernetes. I, I like the control plane. I like the separation of infrastructure from application operation that affords and i would make uh, a deliberate effort to ensure that people at the company uh, are trained up on it if they're not but when you don't have that you know Mm -hmm. challenge or or, or operational requirement in a lot of cases these days i really do it does seem like lambda is for a lot of cases an easy way to go so it's not really a a kubernetes issue it's just why don't we just do that right okay so it it sounds it sounds like dan your team uses a combination of all but then at some point, you guys evaluated ECS versus EKS. Uh, were there any specific findings that made you lean towards more towards one or the other? Like, I know you said uh, knowledge, uh, knowledge gap was definitely one point. Like people were more comfortable with ECS and EKS. Are there any other ones that you want to highlight? Yeah, I think you'll find that I have no data to support this. So, you know, I could be wrong and we should we should look. But I, I would think on average, people are more familiar with ECS or comfortable with the EKS unless they've operated with Kubernetes before. ECS okay. is, mm. is AWS's own service. I think there might be mm-hmm. a presumption that that's what you should run because it's what they wrote. Yeah. Um, and it has some pluses and, and you know, um, gotcha areas too or, or pitfalls. It's not, <laughs> it's not perfect. Um, yeah. But it's there by default. It's supported by CloudFormation. It's supported by Terraform. Mm-hmm. It kind of it just works. So people think, okay, we'll just use that. When you talk about the some of the organizational decisions, so this is something that happens even at a you know fifty person startup all the way to a six thousand person company. Yep. These questions of who well, who's deciding what we're doing, right? Are we all going to deploy services in the same way? Are we going to invest in our own? You know, these things always get code names like it's, it's Hydra or you know it's Tentacle. <laughs> oh, yeah, Everyone's going to deploy <laughs> using this this thing that we develop that always has a, yeah, a yeah. name associated with it. But then you're investing time in that technology mm-hmm. that then blocks people behind it. So you have to be careful about um, are you all actually trying to deploy things the same way? And so sometimes you just don't make a decision, uh, mm-hmm. which is what I think we let our teams do in the first place, where we said, okay, your team is going to be responsible for operating your service. This is sort of the AWS mm-hmm. model that they practice, yep. obviously at much larger scale, but you get paid at two in the morning, you answer the support calls, mm-hmm. you write the service, you do the bugs, you do the whole thing. Uh, and we let our teams do that in the beginning. You want to run on ECS? Okay. We're not here to tell you we're here to run, you know, my team is here to deploy networking infrastructure, yep. to run our SOC 2 audit critically is a major function of the, of the team, but we're not necessarily here to tell you how to 
run every aspect of your deployment. And left alone, most people gravitated toward ECS, and then a couple used EKS, and then now there's serverless on top of it. Okay, that's that's an in, interesting thought, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, like for the compliance checks again, you said SOC two. Obviously, you guys are are in healthcare, so HIPAA might be a, a framework that you have to comply with. Ha- using it looks like using a native service like ECS does have some benefits or uh, an open source based managed service that maybe Amazon offers, and maybe it's easier to use or run through all those compliance checks. I think you could. You could satisfy, and you know, HIPAA is. If you actually read it, it's it's actually tougher in some ways to comply with than SOC two, which is more prescriptive. HIPAA has yeah. a lot of yeah. um, general prescriptions about how to operate your company. SOC two is much more specific. Yeah. Uh, I think you could be compliant with either. It's especially in SOC, you're primarily focused. There's a few critical things around data encryption and privacy, but in a lot of cases, what you're really focused on is operating in a manner that matches your policies. Okay. So there can't be sort of arbitrary processes. If you say we're doing this, this is how we you know we review our access to critical systems quarterly. Okay, you have to have that in the policy, and you have to follow it, and you have to show that you did that, and then you have you know a hundred so or so controls like that. So I think you could do it with with either service really. I wouldn't be too worried about um, either ECS or EKS or anything else okay. being um, deficient for for an audit. Okay. No, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that because I, I, I for some reason I was under that impression. <laughs> so talking about yeah. serverless, right? Yeah, there was. I guess I could maybe add there was one particularly difficult thing to resolve with AWS. This took until mm-hmm. just last year to resolve. It was was whether EKS on Fargate was on their HIPAA eligible. You know, when you go to the uh, AWS HIPAA eligible mm-hmm. list, which is now most of it, hundreds of services, uh, used to be about ten. Uh, EKS Fargate was specifically excluded, whereas um, ECS Fargate was explicitly listed, and they never really had a good answer until we we kind of worked through with their legal team, and eventually they they. Whatever they had to prove out was validated, yeah. and now you can do that. That that was a little bit of a reservation for a while, um, but that's interesting. You know, legally cleared up now. Was that also, um, you know, I know you had mentioned that you know there's been a lot of changes in HIPAA and AWS recently as well. Um, that being one of them, but also something about uh, dedicated instances. So, is are you finding that you know AWS and, and cloud in general is really kind of you know, moving sort of with healthcare now um, and, and kind of unblocking a lot of sort of uh, things that you can use to accelerate what you want to be doing, you know, at Zeus. And... It, it was definitely the case, uh, this is 2017 or 2018, I'd have to check, where you had to use dedicated instances if you were running mm-hmm. uh, HIPAA or healthcare stacks, PHI stacks in AWS. Uh, that was a requirement. Yeah. I'd have to go right. check. It's 2017 or 2018, so four or five years ago. When that was removed as a restriction, that opened up things like API Gateway and, and hundreds, you know, it really opened up their full suite of services that, because that's mm-hmm. all run on, you know, mm-hmm. their ephemeral, uh, ephemeral hardware behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, when they didn't have that dedicated requirement, you could really open it up. So now you see a lot of, I'm not sure what the overall migration is. You might have seen more lift and shift before. Now you have, well, why don't you just build it on AWS to start with? Yep. You don't need a co-location center. You don't need to run this on your own stacks. Just develop it. In AWS, but you know it would be interesting to see data on uh, sure, yeah, on that sort of native development. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. And I uh, go ahead, Ryan. 
No, I was I was going to switch gears to serverless. So if you want to add something to that, uh, go for it. Okay. <laughs> no, I, um, I, one last point, right? Before we move to uh, serverless, I think it, it was interesting. Like de- requiring dedicated instances doesn't really help the with the whole value prop of cloud that it's elastic or it, it helps you save on cost <laughs> because you're not doing a lot of things on your own or managing hardware. Uh, dedicated infrastructure. I'm glad that AWS moved away from that and you guys were able to use shared infrastructure. Yeah, it would save on capacity planning uh, yeah. for, for sure, which, which at a large scale is, um, you know, having worked at a place where there was both a large cloud footprint and on-prem, mm-hmm. uh, that was still mm-hmm. a significant area of investment, right? Yeah. Having to figure out how to account for that future traffic growth. So it does, it would have saved you that, but yeah, then you're having to purchase, you know, uh, reserve capacity and savings yeah. plans and all these things mm-hmm. that go along with, well, why don't we just not have it run when we don't need it to? You know, yeah. if it's a yeah. lambda, you know, mm-hmm. just, or even a scalable node group, right? Just, if there's nothing happening at two in the morning, just, okay, we don't need to. Yeah. What's more secure yeah. than something not running? <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid point. And a good, a good segue, I feel like, to serverless as well, because sort mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, the epitome of shared compute, uh, that being services, maybe, and maybe that's a good place to start. Like, what are the benefits of, of serverless for you? And I know you had mentioned, you know, that's the, if, if you can run it there, that's sort of the go-to these days for you. Um, so yeah, let's start with the benefits. I think one is just conceptual. Um, often, you know, in software, we think of it as a technical field, but if you really, if you really stop and think, Ultimately, like up in the top five most important things are communication and clarity. Um, yeah, actual yeah. like technical concerns are somewhere between ninth and seventeenth, probably. Um, so when you <laughs> think about code, you're you're really thinking about well, who's going to have to read this later, right? Yeah. Um, and something like using lambdas or these 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 tightly packaged groups of compute or, or compute modules, it lets you mm-hmm. express what you're trying to do. Well, what are we actually doing here? Right in a way where you don't get bound up, and we have to build an image, and then we have to have security for the Docker base layer, and we have to test the whole image and ship it and push it around, and we're going to run you know an API service on top of the thing in the container. Like those are all fine ways to develop an application, but you don't have to think about that. What's the code? Mm-hmm. What are you actually doing? And so, just as a because again, the, the people part of software development is so important and often the hard hardest part to get right when you don't have to think about that stuff. Just Where's the Lambda that does X? Yeah. Oh, here it is. And it's 50 lines of code. And that's all there is. Other than some, maybe some Terraform to deploy the whole thing right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so I would say first and foremost is just that conceptual simplicity. Let you think about and reason about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes in a way that's, that's easier than a container. Maybe not, maybe not all the time. Yeah. Uh, the second, of course, is just infinite scalability, right? When you don't even have to worry about auto-scaling groups and scaling policies and all those things. When you just say, hey, this will run. When it needs to, yeah. it won't. Otherwise, uh, that's a pretty nice model, and it works. There are some, you know, and you can go look for these curves of where cost-wise, depending on the amount of yeah. memory and time you're invoking, right? There are some. It's not that all use cases necessarily work in Lambda, um, but until well, as long as you're under that curve, mm-hmm. um, that's a very nice approach to so say you have as much scalability as you need without really having to do a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. That's a nice win. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, like I think when we did our uh, intro to serverless or serverless 101 episode last week or last couple of weeks, one of the things that ke- keeps coming up is the cold start problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you handle that inside your organization? Cold start for development practices or? No, for the Lambda functions to actually be deployed, like whenever they are invoked, like it takes some seconds to maybe a minute. I don't know what the time frame is, 
for the actual application to be online? Is that okay in, in the use case that you have or how do you handle that? You know, that's not something that I've had, I've run into too much um, mm-hmm. dealing with it directly. So one of the, one of the aspects of being a, you know, running audits means I don't get that right hands-on code too much anymore. So I, I would, <laughs> I would defer that to our dev teams and ask them uh, sure. what we're having to do to, you know, to account for that. So I don't, I have not heard of any major hurdles there, but it's, okay. you know, it could also be that I'm provisioning sock evidence and maybe I haven't run into it myself. <laughs> no, that works for me. Yeah. We, I know when we were kind of digging into it, we, we sort of found people were on both sides of that fence where it was like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's something you just accept and it doesn't even happen all the time, right? It just happens when something isn't prepped and ready to go for some time. It's not used for a while and it yeah. might be an issue versus, versus not. So I feel like there's sort of a split of 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 folks in the community out there um and, and those using serverless and are happy with it i find are just like yeah like it happens sometimes but it's something you accept right so um you know i i do want to dig in uh you mentioned the term step function um mm-hmm. and we didn't we didn't actually cover that a lot uh last week and i'd love to kind of dig into sort of conceptually where where lambda and step function and um, you know, function as a service kind of all kind of mixed together. What's the difference? What, what's, what's, you know, uh, used for what? Yeah, stuff functions is just a way to compose uh, an application made of many lambdas into a state machine, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. without getting into, you know, taking the whole thing apart, there's basically uh, JSON or maybe YAML to file that controls. Okay, here's the lambdas that do things as part of the state machine. And here's the data that can be passed between them. And here's mm-hmm. the reasons why the state would change. And you pay AWS every time the state changes. Yeah. And you pay AWS every time the Lambda gets invoked. And so you can compose, <laughs> uh, you can compose state machine-like applications together okay. you know, you, as, one, as one machine, basically, mm-hmm. versus just going and deploying a whole bunch of Lambdas and then knowing, right, um, one thing to look out for in programming, right, surprise dependencies. Or the code just happens to know that you have to call this thing without it being mm-hmm. injected or discovered somehow. Just... It, it lets you get around that problem a little bit by saying, well, these are composed as part of a holistic application, but they're just separate functions um, versus deploying, say, 50 separate lambdas that happen to know how to talk to each other. Then you have to keep a confluence document somewhere that has <laughs> yeah, all the line, boxes and terrible. lines on it, right? Which then nobody, lo- <laughs> nobody looks at it after it was mm-hmm. first made, right? That makes sense. And... Um, I know, I, f- I feel like may- we, we might have not mentioned it on this show yet, but I know some things were being rewritten for Lambda. Um, and I know in many cases you said some teams just, you know, they choose ECS, they choose Kubernetes or EKS, mm-hmm. or they choose Lambda. But in some cases, it sounds like you're, you're, you're um, either mo- making things kind of work with Lambda or choosing them. What is sort of rewriting something for Lambda that necessarily wasn't there look like if maybe it's on EKS and, and your team wants to move it or a team wants to move it to Lambda? Yeah, so previously there was some batch processing done uh, where, where data was being sourced from external partners and you had to sort of poll periodically and figure out, is there data there, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And when there is, you pick it up and then process it, do, it, do what you have to do, uh, and then move it along to the system. In this case, that can be streamlined by not having to worry about the size of data to be discovered from the other endpoint, just knowing uh-huh. that when it's picked up, so you still have a polling mechanism because we don't control the other end of it. But for however much data you, you get back from the partner, you can kick off one of these step-based pipelines and just say, here, do what you need to do, mm-hmm. and it will end up in the right place. And we don't need to worry about 
how big is some cluster or how much compute has to be allocated. Uh, as long as each of those little steps is done in a way where you don't take you know, 50 gigs of memory and an enormous cost to do it, you break it down into bite-sized <laughs> chunks. Sure. Um, it lets you, yeah, it lets you just say, okay, we're just going to offload that. And however, however many of them need to run are running. And we don't have to worry about things like actually executing batch jobs ourselves to process the data. It, it will just run when it needs to, right? I think that's an interesting approach. Uh, like we have spoken a lot about all the different technologies, right? But I wanted to talk about like talent and how when you hire them, uh, like is choosing something like serverless the right decision when it comes to like onboarding new people? Like, uh, do you feel that in the industry right now we have a lot of developers that already know how to work with these modern technologies or what does the ramp up time look like for people that are new to the team that have to work on these technologies? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, this is casually from a fairly small set of data points. I, I <laughs> would say that because they're AWS primitives, um, mm -hmm. there's less ramp up for Lambda than there actually is for for many container services. And I would include mm -hmm. ECS in that. ECS has a fair amount of nuance associated with it to, to get it right. If, if you want to do anything more than just, here's a container file, just go run yeah. it and I'll, we'll forget about it. If you really care about blue-green and scaling, um, th there's a lot of and, and hot updating things where you don't have downtime. There's, that's not necessarily dead simple in ECS either. So I would say that Serverless, or at least Lambda, it's a big field, but that's at least to say Lambda probably has a lower ramp up cost than, than operating containers, I think yeah. more generally. Um, Kubernetes, I think you tend to find people that have used it heavily in production before and they're, they're experts on it and, and quite competent, or people that have heard about it and are interested, but don't have uh, a lot of ex deep experience with it. And then you have to consider, you know, whenever you bring a tool into a company, it's how do we get everybody on board? We don't want to have mm -hmm. this be with like just three people that know about it and you have to always go ask them. What if, if you can, let's level up everybody. We did that with Terraform, I think, in the beginning. Terraform sometimes can be something where people people like it, but they're just a little there's some questions yeah. about, well, how do we actually do this? How does it compare to cloud formation? You always want to try and level up, to get everybody rowing in the same direction. So um, but there's some nuance to serverless, but I think overall, once you especially once you have a template to say, here, here's a way to deploy, you know, it bundles it into a zip file and you can go push it out there. Um, mm -hmm. There's a learning curve, but I think it's, it's actually fairly shallow. Okay. Um, That's not bad. Yeah. Interesting to measure though. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, again, the reason for my question is like, we did a, an episode around platform engineering and that was one of the tasks, right? Because recently the reason larger organizations are building these internal development platforms is because they don't expect the developers to know every technology, so they give them options that's available. So I just wanted to know how it is when when we're talking about all the different kinds of services, but still in that AWS ecosystem. Yeah, that's always a critical question. So mm -hmm. you know, something in, in economics, which is sort of a, a hobby of mine, is the um, the amount of the degree of specialization is based on the size of the market, right? So if you have yeah. a mom and pop restaurant, you know, grandma's in the back cooking everything, right? She's making the sauce, baking the cookies, right, the whole thing. When you have a restaurant that's serving a hundred, couple hundred people a day or more, and you have 20 people working in the kitchen, there's one guy doing sauce. Mm -hmm. That's it. He makes the sauce. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you can see this in dev teams too. If you have a four-person dev team at a startup, you can't go hire a DevOps person to yep. just say, okay, you're going to go do all the build stuff yeah. and make sure and check on security. And mm -hmm. you know, everybody kind of has to pitch in because you can't afford to have a quarter of your budget in one 
particular skill. Yeah. If you have the, you know, this sort of prototypical two pizza team and you're eight to 12 people on a service, then you could, and, and your revenue is sufficient to support that. Sure. You could have on each team, you can say, look, security is a cross-cutting concern. There is a centralized InfoSec team, but there's also going to be somebody who's maybe half their job on your team is to, is to look out for security and someone else whose specialty is uh, build systems and CI and deployments and so on. So it depends. It really depends on the size of your organization. Yeah, I, I really like that analogy, um, and I, I know it's one that we've we've briefly touched on before. Uh, and along those lines, you know, we we did. I think we talked about in the past, which I'd love to double click on here, is just because I've heard you say, just because you have the money doesn't mean you should. And um, mm -hmm. you know, that's somewhat re uh, related to so the size and the market or, uh, and to the specialization. But you know, is there a lesson learned there that you've been through um, uh, that maybe you can apply here to that? Yeah, you want to look at, I guess on some level, it's just basic financial um, accountability. But mm -hmm. I've seen cases where there's a massive spend on cloud uh, at the beginning of a project, including you know, third-party licenses yeah. and, and all sorts of tooling. And, and you will need some of it. But you want to be careful about, you know, have, have you spent a million dollars before any one penny has been <laughs> earned? Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, my sort of somewhat known for wacky analogies, but it's sort of like I'm gonna deciding you're gonna get into rock climbing and you go buy two thousand dollars of the best shoes and fancy ropes and a belayer and like before you even set foot on the <laughs> yeah. cliff face. Mm -hmm. You should start with someone's leftover equipment and see if it's gonna work. Um and the cloud can be that way too. You can spend fifty thousand dollars on code scanning tools and you can spend twenty thousand dollars or more on your audit tools and you can spend another thirty thousand dollars on a container security that you can keep spending yeah. 20 to 50 thousand github will want you to buy their advanced security everybody has a plus version of whatever they're doing before you mm -hmm. know it you're spending three hundred thousand dollars a year on license upgrades and you have to <laughs> at some point stop and think what can we get away with that's still yeah. secure that meets our requirements um and then see if you really need it you always want to let your you know find the pole that touches the bottom of the lake right <laughs> like where are we do we yeah. need to spend a million right away uh and with aws you can actually you know, I remember at Athena Health, we were actually, I felt fairly early on in the, the approach to saying we're going to have a lot of accounts, mm -hmm. possibly hundreds, if I recall correctly, each segmented <laughs> into a specific Lark. purpose. And it felt like the tools actually evolved to support that. So I don't think we were the only ones deciding that. Things like Transit yeah. Gateway showed up, the Control Tower and organizations and all these things to, to con that govern that federated account footprint. But then if you actually look under the covers... There's a cost to that because Control Tower will turn on config for you by default, yeah, uh, and just start tracking in config. It, you know, you don't, you know, don't pay attention to it. It tracks every resource change. So if you have your dev accounts and your and your test accounts and then your production accounts, every single time you deploy a container, you're paying a small, you know, couple halves of a penny for that. So you actually do want to be careful about even the assumed best, you know, best architecture defaults in AWS like config and Control Tower. They're great, but there's a cost to them, and you should be aware of that when you get started. And maybe you don't need 30 accounts right away. Maybe two is fine. Mm -hmm. um, so something to be aware of uh, when, when you get started with AWS until you're, until revenue, you know, is enough to, to clearly justify all those yeah. licenses and expenses. Yes, it's an interesting problem because I feel like that there's on on one hand we we often dive into these new architectures. And I feel like we saw a lot of that spend happening when, you know, people were diving into cloud, but on top of that, it was Kubernetes and, and, and containers. And, and I often wonder, right, is it the shiny new toy? 
and having enough money? Or is it we we often work in this industry um, by solving pain points? And if and if you've been on the side of the pain point, you often want to not have that pain, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also some some real benefit in to your point about you know using used gear is experiencing a little bit of the pain to use a tool to solve a problem versus to get a tool in case you have a problem, right? <laughs> uh, which is not really money at all. It's more of a mindset. And I think maybe goes back directly to your kind of communication and organizational conversation as well. Yeah, I think we all know if you had a dollar for every time somebody said, we're going to put a you know an abstraction wrapper around the database in case we want to change out the database. Like, yeah. you, you never will. You won't. Uh, And if you do, it's because your database requirements have probably changed sufficiently that you're going to redesign the whole application anyway. You're going to move the thing from a relational, you know, setup to, you're not just going to switch from, you know, Oracle to Postgres and that's going to be that simple. You you will have done so as part of a broader change to move from relational to say something like Dynamo, right? So it's back to that, you know, we all know about the uh, premature optimization being the root of all evil. I think that's that does largely hold hold true in computing. It's there's not always great first principles to stand on all the time. But if you if you can just wait and know that you need something, I, I do think you're most of the time in a better off place than sort of pre deciding that you have to have all these things. And then you're then you're in a weird unknown world of then you have to go continually check those to justify that, or else they just stay there forever. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, time flies. We're we're about a half an hour in, and I want to make sure we have time for um our fun news segment. Um, and then uh, we do want to, um, before we dive into that, if there's anywhere mm-hmm. people can, you know, either get a hold of you or if you have anything, you know, to share on GitHub or a website or, you know, someone wants to just ask you a question, is there any place that you prefer people get, you know, in touch with you or anything like that? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, easily searchable. I also maintain uh, a blog called ByteWise, B-Y-T-E-W-I-S-E, which oh. uh, has very occasional comments. I do try to tie in this, those economic concepts into software engineering practices. So folks can check out ByteWise. Otherwise, yeah, just find me on, on LinkedIn. And is Zeus Health hiring? Yeah. <laughs> Zeus Health currently, I don't believe there's any positions at the moment. Uh, we did just have a, a second successful financing round. Um, and I think if you want to reach out to us, uh, we're on LinkedIn or just find us at healthcare conferences. And I think if you find us, you know, again, on, on LinkedIn, our, our product people will uh, let you know where to find us at healthcare conferences because they're always uh, in attendance. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. All right. On to the fun segment, Dan. Um, I know we had prepped you a little bit that we were going to ask you a question. Um, and here's the question, and, and then we can hand it over to you if you want to answer it or let ChatGPT answer it for you. Um, and the question is, if you had to explain cloud computing in healthcare to a five-year-old, how would you do it? And what kind of metaphor or analogy would you use? Well, having three kids, I'm pretty sure I have explained this before, but I'm actually <laughs> curious on... on- chat gpt's answer so can we can we see what it uh, yeah replies? absolutely absolutely and i I, provide I like, too after I like that it. too yeah absolutely you can compare it all right so this is this is how chat gpt would explain cloud computing in healthcare to a five-year-old um 
It starts like this. Have you ever played a game on your tablet or phone that saves your progress so you can pick up where you left off later? Well, imagine if doctors and nurses could do the same thing with their patients' health information. They could save it in a special place called the cloud, in quotes, as I'm putting it there, if you can't see my hands, uh, which is like a giant invisible backpack that can hold lots of important things. That way, if a doctor in a different place needs to see the information, they can just go look up in the cloud instead of having to ask the patient or family to bring it in. It's like magic. And it, depend- and it helps doctors take better care of their patients. That's how ChatGBT uh, would go about it with a five-year-old. I, I dig the the backpack part. I feel mm-hmm. like was yeah. was hitting on something there. I think that's a, there's a sales <laughs> effort in there too. To be clear, it's not just an explanation, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, clearly pulling from many different sources there. I mean, whatever. The, the backpack I can't remember thing. whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever cloud service GPT runs on, I can't remember the sponsor. Azure <laughs> on Azure. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I like that. Yeah, so that that that's pretty fun. I don't know if you had thought about it at all, but uh, we always like to 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 ask those kind of questions. My my simplistic answer for the cloud is always it's just imagine all the computers it takes to uh, to run the software. In this case, imagine all the nurses and doctors are doing all day. Someone put those computers in someone else's building so they don't have to worry about it. Ah, there you go. Nice. You know, it's that, somebody uh, else's computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, super fun, Dan. Um, and um, I think, you know, we we touched on a lot of different topics, but um, I personally learned a lot. I think, you know, our listeners will as well. And they may have follow up questions for you. And that's that's all good. So, um, again, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and being a part of uh, Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Nice. That was fun, Bob. And I know uh, we mentioned it earlier that we haven't had anyone really in the healthcare space. So it's really Mm -hmm. fun to have someone who not only has that serverless experience, but, you know, has kind of really had experience in Kubernetes and why they do use it, don't use it still use serverless. I thought it was a really interesting point of view. And, and also a lot of the, um, the pieces about the non-technological technological pieces of the, the puzzle there. So yeah, let me hear your takeaways about that conversation. No, I think you you started on the right dire- in, in the right direction, right? Like importance of finding the right tool for the job. Like yeah. not everything had to be Kubernetes or like they, they started with some applications, some of the commercial applications that they are buying from off the shelf uh, can only be run on ECS. So they like, they're not messing with it, not trying to move it to serverless. They have some teams inside the organization that are using Kubernetes and EKS. But then, as as Dan said, right, some of them, like, they have a go-to serverless as the default option if you can. A policy, so, like, they're not, they're, they're trying to guide people, but not forcing them to choose the, uh, to, to uh, on, on one path or the other. So, I think that helps. Like, everybody has a different skill set, different comfort levels. If you're ready to take on the additional responsibilities or costs that comes on, from using something like ECS or EKS, go and uh, feel free to do that. But if you want something that's more supported by the organization, uh, serverless is is the solution. So I think that that helps 
like again it, it didn't come as a surprise that organizations do this but it just mm-hmm. helps us reinforce the point that okay you always need to make sure that you're not adopting technologies because uh they are really cool and that's the next big thing but you're adopting technologies because it it helps solve a specific problem for you yeah and and to the to the point of you know feeling the pain first is not always a terrible thing yeah although if you listen to 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 the sales folks they definitely will tell you otherwise <laughs> um i as i think dan made very clear <laughs> in his example uh you know for me i like the the conversations around sort of the economies of scale related yeah. to like adopting new technology um especially the metaphor around you know one guy making sauce really well versus sort of a, a cook doing everything in the kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. Probably not para- you know paraphrasing, of course, <laughs> to what Dan said. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a good lesson and sort of you know thing to pick up on. Um, and on top of that, sort of the organization as a whole uh, and the communication, which which came up a lot in the in the platform engineering uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcast as well, being sort of one and two in the priority list, right? Versus technology as dan put it i think somewhere between 9th and 13th or something like that um just to to kind of push on the point of you know if you get those other things incorrect or or you really struggle with them yeah. tech's not going to fix it so mm-hmm. um uh, i did also like you know to your point doing you know, using the right tool for the right job ecs being sort of delivered uh or or he mentioned a product being delivered that way and yeah. that's a perfect reason for it to stay that way, I know we've we've talked in the past. You know, there's some cases where you don't want to to migrate. You don't want to move things off of or choose new tooling. And and the fact that you don't own it and don't run it um, is a perfectly good reason. So uh, that's a really interesting one to me. And just the adoption of of serverless and what mm-hmm. it can do uh, for sort of the scalability, um, I think, is a really interesting concept of of definitely the case here being such a new company. Being able to start with a fresh set of yep. architectural eyes, so to speak, um, and kind of choosing that path um, mixed with some of the others, as you mentioned. Awesome. That's it. Yeah, good. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that one. Um, uh, I think it was really enjoyable for for me as well. Um, as Bavin mentioned, you know, mystery, mystery for next week's episode. <laughs> Bavin will be taking some well-deserved mm-hmm. time off um so you know enjoy that that's fine um so it'd be me or me and someone uh mm-hmm. next week and um yeah this is a surprise well. even for me guys like <laughs> ryan hasn't told me what he's going what he has planned so that, like e- even on my video i will make sure that i tune in and like check out the next episode no pressure there you, ryan. Go. There you go there you go cool well um you know as always uh if you can review the podcast let us know what you like don't like send us encouraging messages mm-hmm. um if you don't we, we won't listen to the other one <laughs> i'm just kidding all are welcome um and please go have a listen and uh please feel free to suggest anything else and with that it brings us to the end of today's episode i'm ryan i'm Bobin. thanks for joining another episode of kubernetes bites Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs>